Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Today, we're going to be talking about a subject that you know, a lot of people have questions about, and it's regarding the United Network for Organ Sharing new kidney allocation policy that's going to take effect the end of 2014. And today we're going to be talking to Dr. Formica. He is the chair of the UNOS Kidney Transplantation Committee. He is also the professor of medicine and surgery at Yale University School of Medicine. So welcome to the show, Dr. Formica. Well, thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about, you know, why the system was created or changed, this new allocation system. Right. Well, that's a great first question. So to answer that question for your listeners, you really have to know how this, how allocation of kidneys have evolved over time in the United States. And kidneys were the first organs transplanted. And early on, they were allocated only towards healthy young people with kidney disease. So at that early time, there was there was no need to, to have a criteria other than waiting time. But then as time went on, as the indications for kidney transplant increased, as the inclusion criteria, so the people who we allowed to get kidney transplants increased, the numbers of people needing them grew dramatically. So with, to explain, like, the criteria increased, they basically took people that were considered more high risk. Well, would yeah. That, would I that be a good way to say it? It is, but the, the, con- the, the term high risk, I think, carries connotations that maybe aren't what I would like. I mean, it's, if you look at, you know, the early on, a diabetic patient wouldn't have been given dialysis early on, 1960s, 1970s, perhaps even early 1980s, would not have been offered dialysis and a kidney transplant when their kidneys failed. And now diabetic patients make up 50% of the patients who we take care of, right? Mm-hmm. So they are higher risk for sure, but I wouldn't call them classically high risk, um, meaning the very, you know, extremely ill, the, you know, the patient who it's a yes or no, if the kidney works, it's great, and if it doesn't, they won't do well. But the indications certainly have increased. And therefore, as that happened, organ procurement organizations or donor service areas, we call them DSAs, and even UNOS regions, once UNOS regions came into existence, started to add on what we call variances. So new rules that help them allocate a scarce number of resources. And over time, as those new rules were added, other issues such as how well the patient was matched to the donor, um, how quickly the patient needed to be transplanted, all these other variables sort of fell by the wayside. And over time, we had a system that basically grew into just waiting time. And it was just waiting time, and it had no way for us to account for these other variables that we all know are important. And then on top of that, all these variances, all these local changes made to the national allocation system in California and New England and wherever, those made it impossible for us to make a meaningful change 
to the national allocation system because it was so complicated. So the reasons for change are those. It was the system was broken and it was impossible to fix without a total redo. Add on top of that, this process began about 11 years ago. And it's taken us 11 years through repeated iterations to come up with a process that we think is both fair to everybody, and I use fair in quotation marks because always whenever you're moving, <laughs> whenever you're reallocating something that there's not enough of, there's somebody who gets it and somebody doesn't get it. We're right. very conscious of that. Several people feel it's unfair. Right. But we tried to be as non-arbitrary and as transparent as we could so that people knew the rules and they knew why we made the decisions for the various rules. Can you give us just an overview of how many people need a transplant and how many kidneys are actually transplanted? I think that might give our listeners an idea of the <laughs> the difference in numbers. Right. So as a, as a round number, of course, the numbers change a little bit every year. But as a round number, your listeners can think in terms of there's 11,000 deceased donor kidney transplants per year. And it's important when you hear that number, you have to realize that about 2,000 of those go for multi-organ transplants, so pancreas and kidney, liver and kidney, heart and kidney. And then there's about 5,000 living donor transplants per year. So on, that, on average, we have about 16,000 kidney transplants that happen in the United States. And then the waiting list, see, the problem with the waiting list is it gets a lot of press. It just broke 100,000 or whatever that is. What you have to know about that number is there's the total number of patients listed and then the total number of patients that are listed who are considered active. So at any given time, they can accept the organ. So where there's about 100,000, we've actually broke 100,000 total people on the list. At any given time, there's only about 60,000 people that are active that can receive a kidney. And, and those folks that are inactive are, you know, inactive because maybe a young lady has breast cancer and she needs to survive five years before we can transplant them. Or maybe they've had a recent infection. Or there's a lot of reasons, medical reasons, why somebody could be temporarily inactive. And yeah, they, they're just put on hold. I know a couple of my friends are put on hold right now because they're having other medical complications. And you have to be in tip-top shape to get a transplant. It's um, I've had four of them. I mean... I have a lot of experience in this area, and um, you know you do. It's 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 a serious surgery. I mean, you know, it can be. And sometimes you come out and you're like, "Wow, I don't even know I had surgery." And then other ones, I've had complications. But I've been uh, my first transplant was in 1979, and exactly what you said, it it wasn't that hard to get a transplant in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, I. You know, my first transplant, I waited a year, and the second one, I waited four more years, but it was because I had so many antibodies. So, and now it's a 10-year wait in Los Angeles yep. for a kidney. Mm -hmm. You're right. Now, I would say that the new allocation system that we are working with, unfortunately, can't address that. So, we're not making, you know, the, the wait in Los Angeles is longer than the wait, say, in Arkansas, and this new allocation system does not address that. Because it's still operating by regions, correct? Exactly. You're 100% right. You got it perfect on that. And then people can still multi-list, is that correct? People can multi-list, yep. So, can you explain a little bit about the top 20% of kidneys being allocated? Um, the, you know, I, I was reading that, and... Can you give us a little overview of that? Right. 
So that's a very good question. I'm glad you asked that. So the, the, there's a couple of variables to the top 20%. So the first thing is, if as a transplant physician, as a, I realize patients listening out there have a different perspective on this, and, I, and I'm completely aware of that, and I've argued that. But from the transplant physician's perspective, we've seen on multiple occasions, and it happens very frequently, that a kidney that is from a young donor, say the 18-year-old donor, is then the next person in line for that kidney is, let's say, 72 or 69 or something. We cannot, without a medical reason, say that 18-year-old kidney should go to the person who's number two in line who's, who's 40, let's say, or who's 30, because you have these rules you have to play by. But the reality is, that individual who's in their late 60s or early 70s doesn't need the kidney from the 18-year-old to get the benefit of a kidney transplant. So what we wanted to do with this allocation system, and this is the whole concept behind the top 20 to top 20, is preferentially allocate kidneys that are expected to last longer. And I don't use the word better because any kidney that works is good, period. But kidneys that are believed to have the ability to last longer, we want to give to individuals who have a longer lifespan. It kind of makes sense. Now, what you could say, if you're an older individual who might have gotten that 18-year-old kidney, they may say, well, what's in it for me? I'm giving up access to this younger kidney. Well, the first thing is they're giving up access to the younger kidney, but they're having the same amount of access to kidneys in general because the younger person's not competing for the older kidneys. And then as you start to look down the timeline a little bit, and you start to think beyond today and tomorrow, but look five years ahead, six years ahead, ten years ahead, well, currently, 15% of the people on the waiting list are waiting for kidney number two, okay? And those folks waiting for kidney number two aren't the older individuals. And therefore, by giving kidneys that will, from younger donors to younger recipients, we hope that we will reduce the return to the waiting list by the younger recipients and therefore the older recipients will not have as much competition for the kidneys that are available. Because 15% of the waiting list is currently 15,000 patients because these return to the, the list aren't the people that are usually made TU, right? So you're talking about a significant reduction in, in the competition for kidneys if this goes as planned. One of the things that I hear from my members, you know, when we were reviewing this policy is that they're going to give the kidneys to younger people, but there's there's also uh, the possibility that younger people don't take their meds. And that has been a very big argument among, among um, our Facebook posts. Right. So how are you going to, um, you know, differentiate that if somebody's younger who's on the transplant list again, was it because the kidney you know, basically gave out because of, of its age or was it be, gave out because of the person was non-adherent? And I think that's the largest concern I have um, that I hear from other people. And I, I know there's no way to really fix that just to try to educate people on taking their medication. Um, because it's, it's So I, I have some pretty strong opinions about that. Um, now, the first thing is, if you look at non-adherence, it is true that Teenagers, children going through, you know, puberty and adolescence and into young adulthood truly are, do have problems with adherence. 
And if you think about what you were doing when you were a teenager and going into young adulthood and starting your career, you, you probably get a good understanding as to why. The first thing I would say, however, is there's as much non-adherence in the older population, too. So the argument that we shouldn't give kidneys to these kids because they're non-adherent is really a boogeyman argument. It's an argument that's made because it's compelling, uh, but there's probably not a lot of proof to it, that it makes a difference, number one. Number two, you know, just because non-adherence is higher in young children or young adults, it doesn't mean it's 100%. doesn't mean it's even 50%. It's probably more, if it's if a high number would be 25 to 30%, and therefore a very significant number of young people, and I care for a lot of these people because I also practice pediatric nephrology, do quite well. And I've got patients who have gotten their master's degrees and now they're high school teachers and a young girl who's starting a business as a photographer. And so for every story that comes up that way, I can give you a young person who's taken the gift and run with it. And, you know, it's true. Everybody tells the negative stories, not the positive stories. Yes, exactly. And (laughs) a lot of people use that story, but a lot of people also use the story that by giving these kidneys you know, the better quality kidneys, the better longevity kidneys is really the better word, to younger people, we're going to somehow limit live donor transplantation. And I use the analogy of the giving kidneys to giving kids priority and having parents back out of live donation. And, the, the, you know, that would for that to be true, you'd have to assume that somebody would be willing to wait four years for a kidney transplant because the top, this is gets to the, the concept that just because you're getting allocated kidneys from the top 20% in longevity, folks have got to remember there's fewer of those kidneys to go around because it's only 20% of the kidneys. So the waiting time for those kidneys is still going to be long. In fact, it may even be longer than of traditional kidneys. Um, So that's another misconception that's been floating around out there. Well, and also, this is going to help people who are pediatrics. Now, I was a pediatric patient, and I think that it's important. I mean, they're growing. They need a a kidney. It's, you know, you only have so many access sites. I mean, I'm somebody who's pretty much out of access sites. And so it's important to get younger people transplanted. They are going to have to live with this illness a long time. So can you explain who is the top 20%? Right. So that's another great question, and I'm glad you asked that, because it turns out when one models who this top 20% is against the components of the waiting list, it is true that the bulk of the waiting list is people 50 years of age and greater. However... 10% of those people that are between the ages of 50 and 55 are in the top 20%. Now, in truth, what what that means is that's probably your 50-year-old who has polycystic kidney disease and not yet on dialysis. It's not your 50-year-old diabetic. It's probably not somebody such as yourself who's had previous transplants. But the truth is that top 20% does go all the way up into people in their 50s. So certainly it's not preferentially just giving these kidneys to the kids, right? It's everybody up until that age group. And the biggest bulk is actually in the 20 to 30-year-old group, or 25 to 30-year-old group. Um, So it's a great question. It's not as people like to make it sound like it's, you know, 15-year-olds. So that's an important thing for your listeners to remember. Does waiting time play a part? Like if somebody's been on dialysis who's, let's say, 35 and who's been on dialysis seven years as opposed to somebody who's been on three years. Does time on dialysis affect the score? Absolutely. So what we did 
when we design this new system to keep everything as comfortable and as familiar as possible within the categories. Waiting time remains the primary way that we categorize patients, right? So nobody gets bumped ahead. So if you've been waiting five years, you come ahead of somebody who's been waiting three years. So within the categories, waiting time still is the, the main reason for where, or the main way you get, you know, lined up in the queue. I will say, by truth in advertising, we do have a couple provisions, so people who get more points, like a highly sensitized patient gets more points, even if they have less waiting time, they go to the front of the line. Um, children still go to the front of the line. Um, and um, patients who are matched to the donor on, at the DRHLA locus, which I won't go into for the purposes of this talk, but those individuals also get a few extra points. So there are a few things that can skew the, the line, but the primary driver, let's say 85%, is just time on the waiting list. Now let's talk about the other 80% of the kidneys because there's this calculator that, you know, you can plug in all your statistics and I've received a lot of feedback on people plugging in their numbers and they're saying, I got a 65 um, when they plug in their numbers. Or their and then EPTS score or their e- kidney score? The kidney, um, I think it's the kidney calculator that's on the OP. So they get like a 65. Yes. And then their view is that they'll never get transplanted. Can you explain the numbers? Because the other 80% are still up for grabs, right? <laughs> yeah, no, what, what you're talking about is, you're talking about their EPTS score. Yes, it's a, a simple calculator that's online. You put in the year you started dialysis. Yes, that's the EPTS score. Okay. So, so those scores, those EPTS scores, although you can plug it in and you can get a value, that might have been, when I was, now that I'm reflecting on it while we were designing this, that that might have been a bad idea to give a specific value because the only thing these EPTS scores are used for, the only thing is to separate the 20% group from the 80% group. Okay, so if you're not under, if you're under 20, great, but if not, don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it because you're still with the bulk of us and you're just sitting there in the big group. And then within that great big group, and by the way, those kidneys in that group, I'm looking at a graph here, those kidneys, the, big, the difference in those in the one and two year survivals, let's talk about the two year survival. The difference between a, a kidney that, that scores in the 21th percentile in the KDPI all the way up to a kidney that scores in the 85th percentile in the KDPI. The two-year survival is less than 10% different. Okay, so it's... So those are all really, really good kidneys. Right. So you're just basically trying to match the kidney with the right person so we can get the maximum lifespan out of a kidney and therefore keeping people off of dialysis and, you know, basically dialysis is very expensive right? and uh, to return and then they have to repeat the whole process again. So perhaps in the long run, this is going to actually help the list because it's going to keep people with their current transplant and not need a second or third. Well, that's what I said when I opened up the conversation. We, we, we hope that that is in fact the case, that the return to dialysis for the younger patients is lessened. And by lessening that return to dialysis, the competition for the kidneys will by definition decrease because there won't be as many people coming back for number two, number three, and number four because the kidney that they got initially keeps them going longer. So I want to switch a little bit to the 80% and the 20% of what classifies a kidney to be in the top 20 and what classifies a kidney to be in the 80% because 
what I've been hearing is, oh, I'm going to have to take an extended criteria kidney and it's not going to last very long. And I'm, yeah, you know, I, you hear all these different things. And can you just clarify what that means? Right. So they're mixing and they're mix, mixing apples and oranges there. So the, the kidneys at, at the very high end, the 86% and up, those in fact are going to be allocated in a manner similar to the extended criteria donor kidneys. You're, it's going to be an opt-in system, just like the current extended criteria donor kidneys. And in fact, in many respects, those kidneys are exactly the same. The benefit now, though, is those kidneys are going to be offered on a regional list first. There'll be no local list. And our hope is twofold. The first thing is that we'll be able to find a person who wants that kidney faster, so there's less cold ischemic time to make the kidney better when it gets there. Mm-hmm. And number two, if one is to look at a map of the country, and specifically a map of donor service areas, you will see donor service areas that use a lot of extended criteria donor kidneys sitting right next to donor service areas that don't use any extended criteria donor kidneys. And our hope by incentivizing or by making this regional list first OPOs that currently don't recover these kidneys because their centers don't use them mm-hmm. will now want to recover these kidneys because they know that just across the line there's a center that's very happy mm-hmm. to take them. So there's a potential that patients will be transplanted quicker because of that. That's number one. The, the other thing about the kidneys, the top 20% to say the 85%, that's really just when we were looking at the data on survival, we needed to have a couple of cut points to start. And the real truth of the matter is there's very little difference between a kidney that scores 19 and, frankly, a kidney that scores 50, right? The difference in, the difference in two-year survival between those kidneys is less than 3%, right? And by the time you go up to a kidney that scores a 70, compared to a kidney that scores a 20, the difference in two-year survival is less than 7%. So these kidneys are all very much the same. The curve is extraordinarily flat. And those are basically all the kidneys people have been competing for all along. That's the bulk of the kidneys. How does a kidney get scored? I mean, you know, if they're basically, I'm just, I'm just, if it's like an instantaneous death and there's no trauma to the kidneys and it's young, they're a higher one. If it's there's actually some 10, high blood pressure, I don't know. I'm just curious. How 10, they you know, get that's a good question. It's a great question. There's 10 variables that factor into it. And I probably won't get all 10, but it's, it's donor age, donor race, donor body mass index, whether there's a history of diabetes and hypertension, um, what the creatinine was at the time that the KDPI was calculated, whether or not the patient had hep C, of course, patients who don't, recipients who don't have hep C would never get those kidneys, but um, whether the patient was a brain-dead donor or, or a donor after cardiac death. So there's a lot of variables that go into that calculation. So, you know, this is kind of a morbid question, but what is the ideal deceased donor? So I'm glad you asked that question, and I'm going to intentionally not answer it <laughs> because it gives me an opportunity to educate your audience on something that I feel is very important. The best donor, the best kidney, is the kidney that you get and the kidney that works. And any kidney that works is a good kidney for you. And the reason why the idea of the ideal donor bothers me is because it it, it implies a commoditization of a donor, right? This is a human being that died. Right. And I, I hate that notion of people like 
picking this kidney off the shelf as, oh, this is an ideal one, this is a good one. Now, I realize very much that there are people, because as a physician, I'll say, boy, you got very lucky. You got this X, Y, or Z kidney and what have you. And for the individual that that happens, that's a wonderful gift, right? But people really should be focused on that. The ideal donor is the kidney that you get that works for you. Yes. And that's really what it comes down to. And I, I just worry at some point that I know what people mean and, I, and it's, I know at times it's hard to go through all the extra talking to every time <laughs> it comes through to articulate what you mean. But I do worry a lot about donor families. Well, and um, um, I, I want to make sure that people always respect and love these people because it's key, you know. It's key. I mean, I received my third kidney um, in 1990. It was a perfect match. I want to talk about perfect match in a second. And it was flown in from Denver, and, you know, I basically got the kidney on a Saturday night. Um, I didn't wake up till Tuesday. It was out of the body for 36 hours. It didn't work for three weeks. And then finally it kicked in, and I left the hospital with a 2.2 creatinine. And, you know, my uh, physician said, you know, you're going to get some good years out of this kidney, yada, yada, yada. That kidney lasted me 20 years. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, it just, my creatinine just stayed 2.2 for 20 years, despite all the, you know, little nuances that, you know, were against it. And so I always tell people that they'll call me and they're like, my creatinine is 1.8. I'm like, well, it can stay there. Mine stayed at 2.2 for 20 years. Right. Well, you're right. And because well, it's because people don't entirely understand what creatinine means. And they confuse a creatinine with their transplanted kidney with a creatinine when they had kidney disease. And the disease that was taking their kidneys was progressing and they were losing kidney function. So the creatinine in and of itself is not... It does reflect GFR for sure. We use it to calculate GFR, but it doesn't necessarily reflect where that kidney is going. And I have a similar story that you just articulated. The young gentleman got a kidney from a relative, actually, who was a very small individual, so the size mismatch. That kidney has had a creatinine of 3.1, working perfect, keeping him in the business world for the last 12 years. Well, and and even is, more than that. And, and just to say, you know, my kidney, I, I refer to it as Denver, you know, because I remember this this gentleman and the family who made the, you know, the choice to give the gift of life. I mean, basically, at age 24, I got transplanted. It, may, it gave me a new life. Right. Um, after being on dialysis for 12 years, I mean, I didn't even understand how f- great food tasted <laughs> until I got that kidney. Um, can you explain a little bit about a perfect match? Um, is that still going to be the same if it's a zero mismatch kidney? Will that still go to the, the the recipient that is a zero mismatch? Yeah, so zero mismatches still receive a lot of priority in our system. They actually come very much at the top of the allocation scheme. I think the other thing that folks should keep in mind is for the sensitiz- sensitized patients such as yourself, Zero mis- that's probably the, the best way for somebody to get a transplant. And sensitized patients are going to have a, a national share. So the ability for them to achieve a perfect match kidney is going to be highlighted. But everybody will basically still remain in that sort of pool that, you know, we may, you know, if you, the, the, the possibility to get uh, a perfect match kidney is still out there for you. And and those people are prioritized because, frankly, somebody who gets a perfect match kidney, and your own example just proved it, those people have kidneys that last longer. They come back to the list less frequently, 
and therefore there's other kidneys available for the folks who are on the list. So that's a that's a win-win for everybody. And I think it's it's important to clarify what you just said is that I've heard from people, oh, I have antibodies, I'm not going to get transplanted. That's just not true. <laughs> not true, but it is it is true that it's harder to get transplanted. Yes, it is, it is. And, you know, there's a lot of different protocols out there now. I went through that desensitization protocol for my fourth transplant, and I did have a living donor. Um, but, uh, you know, my creatinine is 0.7 today. It just keeps getting better and better. So there are a lot of programs out there that offer these options for you. Um, I want to um, just backtrack a little bit because one of the things you said I think is going to give a lot of hope to people, and that is we're sharing of regions for um, people who, you know, want an extended criteria kidney. I heard a, a lecture from a physician once who's a transplant surgeon, and I didn't really understand that all transplant surgeons aren't equal. <laughs> he said that he can repair kidneys. He will take kidneys and he can he gets great outcomes because he can transplant them. His survival rate is extremely high. And I when you made that comment that some hospitals don't want to take a certain kidney, is that because perhaps the, the surgeon may just not feel that they have the expertise as another surgeon to take the kidney? Um, can you clarify that a little bit? Yeah, so I, I'm hesitant to do that because I've interacted with a lot of transplant surgeons in my career. And I think that the truth is, particularly when it comes to kidney transplant, the training is so good that anybody who's out there in the business of kidney transplant is going to be extremely capable of doing whatever. What, what may be the difference is there's individual surgeons who have gotten comfortable with accepting these kidneys. And so the, the important thing to remember there is, and I see this all the time, our surgeons are very much worried about finding the right kidney for the right individual. And they're more in tune than even the average nephrologist in transplant to understand that if they give a, a kidney to a patient and the kidney doesn't work or doesn't serve them well, they might have done them more harm. Right. right. So what you're probably hitting on is a surgeon who's gotten comfortable or has had good experiences taking some of these kidneys and getting a good outcome for for their recipients. But what you need to understand is when people talk about their good outcomes, they're talking about gets what's, what gets published on the SRTR website, which is one in three year survival. Nobody looks at their five, their eight, their ten year survival. And I would argue for just about everybody that's a more meaningful number, right? Three years is not really doing much for you. You want to get five, you want to get eight, you want to get ten. Um, I want I think 25 that's a much or more. more. <laughs> Say what? I want 25 or more. Yeah, so exactly. Well, so you, I'm going for 25. I got 20 out of the last one, 25 with this one. Well, so you just made my point. So you can get a lot of kidneys in and make them work and make your SRTR data work good, or you can do a lot of things, you can make, put kidneys in that get like, you know, kids' grandchildren to send you thank you cards, you know, there's a difference there, and and there's a fine line, by the way, there's a very fine line, because if you don't do any transplants, you're not doing anybody good either, right? right. So it's not the perfect world, people with kidney disease, unfortunately, you've got kidney disease, so you're already not in the perfect world, and it's a match between getting people transplanted and not, so... There's a risk to staying on dialysis. So I don't want anybody to think that because their surgeon's not being aggressive, they're being done a disservice. And I don't want anybody to think because their surgeon is more aggressive, they're being done a disservice. It's a really very sophisticated, you know, problem to deal with. And I think 
I've been uniformly impressed by the people in transplant that although we sometimes differ about the decisions we make, everybody's unified and like trying to do the best they can for the patients they're taking care of. Well, it, it is. I mean, transplantation, you know, it works. If you have the right kidney, you could transplant people all day. I mean, if there was enough of them. <laughs> I mean, I heard that at one of the conferences is like, we know how to do this. There is no doubt there's just a shortage of organs, which leads me to the point of the importance of just people making people aware about living donation. And in California, we're trying to get that organ donation plate, you know, passed. We're trying to get enough people to sign up for the plate to bring more awareness to people about donating. Um, so just to wrap up a little bit, uh, what changes do you think the average person is going to experience? I mean, you know, if I'm a patient who's on dialysis, are they going to see drastic changes in wait times? Well, so that's, I'm glad you asked that question because the truth of the matter, the, the real, despite all the worry that's come out of this and all the anxiety, the average patient is not going to experience anything different. What they may see, because not every patient gets referred to a transplant center before they're on dialysis. Some patients may find that they're actually in better shape than they thought they were because now we're giving credit for time spent on dialysis before listing, right? So that could potentially benefit patients, and that, that benefit would apply to everybody. Moreover, if you are referred preemptively, your doctor gets you to a center, uh, transplant center before you're on dialysis, now across the country, not just depending upon where you lived before, but across the country, you'll get credit for waiting time when you're listed with your percent kidney function under 20 or 20 and right. lower. And that's meaningful, right? So if you're a patient with PKD, polycystic kidney disease, who could live very, very well with a percent kidney function under 20 for one, two, maybe even three years, you could accumulate some significant waiting time without even being on dialysis. So I think there's, there's mostly upside. There's very little downside to patients. And the other thing that I would, I would caution your older listeners about is when you look at these graphs that we had to publish of the modeling, and it shows 5% fewer transplants occurring in the 55 and older group and 5% more occurring in the younger group. Folks have to remember that all we can do is model that data out for one year. And that's what's happening at the end of one year. But if you're in the queue and you at one year and 15 months, you're still going to get your kidney. It doesn't, it's not like at the end of one year that the, the list is thrown out and we start new. If you're still waiting and you live more than the year, which most people will, you're still going to have access to the kidney. It's just you're going to wait a little longer. And that's probably the way that this will go. At, at the end of the day, all the people listening, I mean, what we can do as patients is stay as healthy as possible. Uh, because you don't want to miss that kidney <laughs> because you, you know, you're sick or you didn't take care of yourself or you, you know, you went to somebody's house where they were sick. I mean, I carry hand sanitizer around with me. I try not to be around people who are sick. I bring a mask with me if I have to fly and the person next to me is sick. I'll put the mask on. I do everything to not get sick. And uh, you know, that's what we can do to be as best prepared for a kidney. Well, I think this was a, a great interview. It answered, you know, a lot of my questions. And I, I feel a little bit more um, relieved because I've been hearing all these things going back and forth. And at the end of the day, you know, it just may make kidneys more available for everybody based on the fact that we're going to get people transplanted and keep them off of the list. That really is the takeaway 
uh, you know, I heard today. Well, again, I just want to stress, you know, that's what we have. To, that will remain to be seen. Right. So that's, yeah, one of those, that's one of the things you can't model. But I, I personally believe that's going to be the case. So where can people go to learn more about this? Because I'm sure they're going to have more questions. In addition to asking their healthcare team, is there a website that you can recommend? Yes. So if they go to Transplant Pro, all one word, it's actually transplantpro.org, O-R-G. Right at the top, and this is a website for both uh, transplant professionals as well as patients, there's a lot of uh, resources. And right at the top, there's a, a little banner that, that circulates through that says, Understand the new kidney allocation system. And when you click on that, you get a lot of stuff that's both designed for um, physicians, but you find e-mod- e-learning modules for patients. There's data there that explains things like the KDPI in plain language for patients. So it's very useful. Thank you so much for all your work that you've done on behalf of patients. I mean, I've been on a lot of different committees, and the fact that this has taken 11 years had to create some frustration. Like, why is it happening faster? (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, you have to make change to create a better system because Organ transplantation works and so many people are living great lives because of it. So I thank you for all your work on this cause and we'll see what happens. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.